morning I'm going to be speaking on the in-between time. The in-between time. Turn to your neighbor and say the in-between time. <laughs> you know, we have to send our titles to the media team somewhere during the course of the week. And I sent the title to uh, Brother Sipo over there. said the in-between time. And I could tell straight away he needed some sort of, some sort of explanation because um, it's quite an interesting title. But the in-between time. And I, I like this title because... You know, in Christian circles, I think we receive promises from God. We have dreams in our heart. We have desires. We have things we want to do, places we want to go. And, um, you know, when God speaks to us very often, the excitement is there. And we're very expectant and we're very filled with faith. And we think it's going to happen really quickly. Amen. And how many of you know that it doesn't always, well, it hardly ever happens like that most of the time when God gives us a promise, when God gives us a dream, when God gives us an unction or a sense of where he's taking us and what our destiny is. He declares the word and then we get all excited and we wake up tomorrow and we think, okay, it's a new season. I'm going to walk in my calling. And then very often the very opposite thing happens, or at least we walk into some form of barren land or wilderness regarding the word that God spoke. And there's always an in-between time between when God declares or when God gives us a sense of where he's taking us and when he fulfills the word that he gave us. And, and many of us find ourselves in that place in many different areas of our life. An in-between time, that space between where we, where we knew what God was saying to us, the reason why he put us here or one of the reasons why he put us here on this earth and the fulfillment of that thing. There's that in-between space and and I'm wanting us to look at um, a particular example in the Bible. And let me just say that there are lots of examples in the Bible. Okay, there are lots of examples. And I'm going to be, we're going to be looking at the account of Joseph today. I'm going to mention a few other accounts. But um, there's a lot that we can draw from Joseph's, Joseph's life in terms of understanding the process of God. Because God is a God of process. He's a God of process. He's a God of intentionality. And um, sometimes we can feel like he's forgotten us, but he doesn't forget where we're at. He doesn't forget where he's taking us. He knows where we're at, and he has us on a journey, and he has us on a process, and he knows where we are, okay? He knows where, we take, where he's taking us. And um, if you just look at this example of Joseph, um, you know, just high level quickly, he received this dream from the Lord regarding his future destiny, and the Lord gives us, him this dream where um, he's leading. And in actual fact, his family are submitting to him and bowing to him. And he was one of the youngest brothers um, in the family. In fact, I think when God gave him the dream, he was the youngest. So he was the least significant in the family. And God gives him this dream that his family are going to submit to his authority. And straight after he received this word... He was thrown into a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery. That's an interesting picture. It's a fascinating picture. So God received this, I mean, Joseph received this prophetic word, this dream about being a leader. And the first portion of the process of fulfillment of the word required Joseph to be thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. So you see, 
in especially in pros very prosperity, very faith-driven messages, we forget that there's always a process to the fulfillment of the word. We can't just name it, claim it, frame it. Today, God said you're a pastor. Tomorrow, you're a pastor. It doesn't work like that. Today, God says you're going to be a, government, a politician. Tomorrow, you're a politician. Today, God says you're going to be an entrepreneur with many businesses and, you, and millions are going to flow through your hands. Tomorrow, you're going to have a million rand in your bank. It doesn't work like that with God. There's always a process and often it goes in the opposite direction first because God has many, many things that he has to teach us and test us in before we can fulfill the word over our lives. And jo if I look at the life of Joseph, he endured so many trials and tests successfully and then God fulfilled the word for Joseph. But if we just, if we just take a, a, a quick look at what happened when Joseph received the word? So Joseph is 17 and he receives this word about being a leader. So just put yourself in a situation when you received a word or you received a dream for your life. Think about it and, and, and apply it to your life. So Joseph receives this word that he's going to be a leader. And he believes it. He tells his brothers he's sure it's going to come to pass. And of course, we know that's when he gets thrown into a pit. But in his mind at that time, the leadership was probably about him. It was probably about his calling, his destiny, the power that he would have, the influence that he would have. It was very much around about him. And so the process, and God couldn't give it to him then because, because number one, the situation wasn't right. Because the reason why God called him to be a leader was so that he could save all of Egypt and all of the surrounding lands by the wisdom that God was going to give him. So there was no famine yet when God gave Joseph this particular dream. So the time wasn't ready, and his brothers weren't ready, and he wasn't positioned to write to fulfill the word. So often when God gives us the word, the, the timing isn't right, and the situation around us isn't right. The timing, uh, the circumstances aren't right when he gives us the word. And part of the process, yes, he's testing us, but he's getting us ready, and he's getting the around us ready for the ful fulfillment of his word. And I think that we need to come to a place where we so trust God that he's going to fulfill those things that he's spoken to us. And we trust him that when he fulfills them, it's not going to be about me because God didn't call me to be what I am for me. He called me to be what I am for you. So God didn't give you the word for you. He gave it to you for the people that he's called you to. Amen. And part of the process is getting you to a place in your heart where you're aware of that. So the process is critical in preparing us for the calling. And unfortunately, many of us don't understand that God is not in a rush to fulfill his words. God is not anxious to fulfill his word for your life because he's fully confident that he can do it. We're the ones who very often are anxious. Amen. We're anxious. We want it, we want it to be fulfilled because we're not really, we're not really sure that God's gonna do it. But God is not anxious. He's fully convinced that He can do it. And His desire and His intention in that gap, in the in-between time, is to take you to a place where you're ready when He fulfills that word. Okay. Okay, so the question is: are we ready? I love what God says to Jeremiah, and it, it, it challenges me. In Jeremiah 1.17, he says, prepare yourself and arise. There's always a preparation for what God has called you to. Always a preparation. How should you prepare yourself for what God has called you to? 
See, God might have called you to be a pastor, to be a preacher. God might have called you to be a businessman. God might have called you to be a, a musician, a politician, a teacher. But there's something that you can do to prepare yourself more fully for what he's called you to. Amen. Maybe it's competence. Maybe it's heart. Maybe it's something else. But we can always be preparing ourselves. Now, um, Often in our excitement when we receive a word from the Lord, many of us move quickly into unbelief because we look at the circumstances and the situation around us. And there's no evidence that we see that God is going to fulfill that word. How many of you have received a word and then you don't see any evidence of it? Yes. Okay. Maybe you still don't see any evidence. In fact, maybe you see evidence that it's definitely not going to be fulfilled. Okay. And it's important that we guard our hearts against unbelief at that point. You know, I would imagine that God is able to fulfill his word immediately, but he doesn't for our own benefit. If I look at the Israelites journeying through the wilderness into their promised land, we see that God is more concerned with our own hearts and our readiness to stand in the promised land than rushing in and giving us what he promised. See, God promised the Israelites that they would, you know, he would take them into the promised land. Then they had a process of 40 years, okay? And I've heard it said that for that many people, maybe it would have taken six weeks, you know, maybe 12 weeks conservatively to, to cross that distance from Egypt into the promised land. But it took them 40 years. So it wasn't a matter of, of ability of God to take them in there. It was a matter of God was doing something in the depth of their hearts. And the interesting thing for me is that it wasn't 40 years until they, God gave them the promised land. It was 40 years until they were allowed to fight for the promised land. 40 years until they were allowed to fight for it. That's quite something. That's quite something. Um, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you to wage the good warfare according to the prophecies that were given you. You see, and we told in the New Testament that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. That's our offensive weapon. And one of the things that I'm wanting to do is because today I'm going to be looking at um, Joseph and his life and some of the tests and some of the things that God was doing. But I'm wanting to look at weapons that we need to use in another message because this in-between time, they're weapons that we need to use. And one of these I wanted to mention today is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Paul says to Timothy, in this in-between time, you need to wage warfare according to the prophecies you were given. What is that all about? That means that I declare the word. I remind myself of that word. I encourage myself in my heart concerning the word that God has spoken to me over my life because that brings faith that guards me against unbelief. Amen. Now, why would God give you that sword if you didn't need it? Why does he give it to you? He gives it to you so you can use it because he knows that it's going to be, be difficult. He knows that circumstances are probably not going to be, they're probably going to be contrary to what you want to see. And you're going to need to use that word. And let me tell you something else for free, that very often the clarity of the word is an indicator of the resistance that you're going to come up against. So if the word is very, very clear, it needs to be very, very clear because you're going to have very, very clear resistance. Amen. So, so sometimes don't always celebrate when the word is very, very clear because, you know, okay. <laughs> Audible voice, I was given for a reason. <laughs> okay. Now, once Joseph received the word, he entered into a process that tested his heart. 
and, and we have to understand how God works because He works like that in our lives. He'll give us a word, and then he, and we go into a process where He's testing our hearts, okay? And it seems to me, as I look at Scripture, that Joseph kept his heart throughout this time. He kept his heart, and at the appointed time, at the appointed time, God fulfilled the word he declared at the start. Joseph couldn't rush it. He couldn't make it happen. You know, I was talking to a lady. She was giving me feedback, um, and she was just saying she believes that we need to do something in fulfilling God's word over our lives. And yes, we do need to do something, but we can't make it happen. It's totally God. Our calling has to, is, is so from God. It's so big that we can't do it on our own. He has to do it. And all we can do is submit to the process, do what we do to prepare ourselves and arise, and trust God that he'll fulfill it and he'll position us to fulfill it in his time. Now, Joseph, in Joseph, Joseph's case, there was a period of time that he had to walk through. There was no shortcut. So for you in your life, there's a period of time that you have to walk through. There's no shortcut. There's no instant. You see, we love instant everything, instant noodles, instant coffee. Okay, I don't like instant coffee, but we like instant everything. But God is not an instant God. Okay, there are no shortcuts to God's process. Okay, so I'm wanting us to take a closer look at the account of Joseph's life, and we're just going to walk through from Genesis 30 onwards. Now, as I pick this up in Genesis 30, verse 22 to 24, um, the background to the birth of Joseph is that his mother, Rachel, has not been able to have children. And his, there's rivalry between his mother, Rachel, and his aunt, Leah. Rachel and Leah were sisters, and Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob was their husband. Tough situation. And Leah was having children like it was going out of fashion, and Rachel could not have babies, okay? In the culture of that time, if you could not have babies, you were, uh, I don't want to say worthless, but you weren't doing what a woman was meant to do in that culture. You were supposed to produce sons, okay? So Rachel was not producing sons, and, and there was a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger. If you read about it, she even gets angry with her husband and says, you're not giving me sons. She blames it on him. Okay, but eventually, if we read in verse 22 of Genesis 30, it says, God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and, and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And that is the, na that is the meaning of the name Joseph. The Lord shall add to me another son. So when Joseph was born in his mother's heart, he was just a pawn in an almighty rivalry between her and her sister where she wanted to come out on top. He was a tool in a war. That was where in his mother's heart, he was something, he was, he was like a victory thing to hold up. There was nothing about Joseph and his destiny and his calling. That was from her perspective. And... Um, it, that, that's really, bear, bear that in mind, I'm going to touch on that just now, okay? Reading, carrying on reading Genesis 37 verse 2, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So Joseph is 17, and it's interesting, if you go and read the commentaries, you see that where it says Joseph was feeding the flock, it literally means Joseph was shepherd over the flock. He was chief shepherd. So those other brothers of his, 
um, mother and aunt, his mothers and aunties' maids, okay, those other brothers, were older than him, but he was chief shepherd. So even at the age of 17, there was a leadership thing on him. And whether he was chief shepherd because he was a son of one of the primary wives, or whether he was chief shepherd because of his leadership qualities, it doesn't matter to me because I see at 17, he was already in leadership. He was already in a chief position. He was a leader, okay? So bear all these little points in mind. I'm going to tie them together. Genesis 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. So this is interesting to me because remember, from Rachel's perspective, Joseph was just this person, this, this, this tool in rivalry. From Israel or Jacob's perspective... He meant something entirely different. He was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. So you can see in the hearts of parents, there's different meaning to children, okay? Now, this to me encourages me because it means that it doesn't matter how we are born and the circumstances and reasons for our birth. God has his own plans because when God brought forth Joseph, he had an almighty calling on his life, a calling of leadership, a calling to politics or prime minister, really, so when, if you apply this to someone who's born out of wedlock or someone who's raped and falls pregnant, you know, that person falls pregnant and that child was an act of lust, an act of incest, an act of whatever. But God can take that situation. It doesn't matter. God can say, you know what? You had your plans. You had your business. This is what happened. But I'm going to use this person powerfully and make them a leader. Amen. Okay, so that's really, really beautiful for me. And that coat of many colors that his father uh, made for his son speaks of favor. So he was favored by his father. And that favor would have fed his brother's envy. His brothers were envious of him. And it says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of them, they hated him and could not speak peaceably. So there was already a favor from his father. And how many of you know that when the favor of God is on your life, even if you're not in, in, in positions of influence, it provokes envy from people, even from your brothers within the church. It does. It does. And those things are tests for us, tests for our hearts. Unfortunately, jealousy tends to come from those we love and trust and least expect it from. And that was the case, the case for Joseph. And so why are we surprised when this happens? It's part of the process. It's part of the journey. Amen. Joseph didn't let it touch his heart. As far as I see, he kept his heart. And that's one of the things we need to do when we're in this in-between time, when there's envy, when there's something that comes against us from our brothers whom we love and trust. We've got to guard our hearts and know that God has put his favor on us and he loves us and he has a purpose for us. Okay. Carrying it on in this particular portion of scripture, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers. Okay, I don't know, maybe, maybe he shouldn't have told it to his brothers, <laughs> okay? But Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. And he said to them, please hear this dream I have dreamed. We were binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf arose and stood upright and your sheaf stood around, around and bowed to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you reign over us? Shall you have dominion over us? And they hated him even more for his dreams. 
I don't know, people, you know, I like what Mary did. You know, when, when Mary had a word from the Lord, it says that she pondered all these things in her heart. I like, I, I tend to agree with that. But anyway, Joseph was bold. Maybe he had no, he just had no a malice. And, and for him, he was just pure of heart. He's like, hey, guys, I had this dream. You were bowing down to me. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. He says, look, I've dreamed another dream. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed down to him, and he told it to his fathers and brothers. And they rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed bow down to you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You know, if you've got a dream from God, don't let people talk you out of it. Amen. If you have to ponder it in your heart because it's so big, because you can't see how on earth it could be fulfilled, then you do that. But if God has given you a dream, it's going to be so big that you can't do it on your own. And it's going to be so big probably that your brothers around you won't believe it. But you ponder it in your heart. You keep that matter in mind. I think that Joseph's father had already noticed that the quality of his character, when he came and re-reported what his brothers were doing that was not good, his father noticed that. He noticed his quality, noticed his integrity, noticed the leadership. Okay? Picking up the story in Genesis 37 verse 12. Joseph's father sends him to go check up on his brothers. Okay? Who's taken the father's fox to feed them in Shechem. And Joseph discovers they've moved on. They've moved on to Dothan and he, and he goes to find them there. And the brothers see him coming. And this is what it says, Genesis 37. Now, when the brothers saw him afar off, even before Joseph came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. You know that envy breeds hatred, breeds murder. You know that sometimes when we are envious or people are envious because it works both ways, we murder people with what we release from our mouths. So if you find yourself speaking badly or ill against people in the church or leaders, just check your heart because you actually might be the one who's not walking right. Amen. Envy often breeds hatred, often breeds murder. And we can see that murderous thing in our hearts by what we release from our mouths. But anyway, they conspired to really kill him. And they said to each other, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, let us now kill him and cast him into the pit. And, and we will say some beast has devoured him. And we will see what has become of his dreams. Vindictive. Not great at all. Okay. And as, as we all know, Reuben's conscience kicks in. And he convinces brothers to throw Joseph into a pit. And then Midianite traders pass by and Judah convinces his brothers to sell Joseph you know what I think happened? I think God sent the Midianite people through that, that place. He sent the Midianite traders. Sorry, I think I said soldiers, traders. He sent the Midianite traders because he probably knew, okay, you know what? The brothers are getting to a point where they're actually going to kill him. I need to do something now. Okay? God knows where we at, and he knows what he needs to do. But you know what happened? At that point when he was thrown into a pit after he'd had the dream, that's when his training began in earnest. When God declares a word and then you're thrown into a pit, when God declares a word and suddenly everything is dark around you, suddenly you can't hear him, suddenly you can't see the way out, suddenly you, you sold into slavery, you're in some form of prison, and we think, God, you've forgotten me. Where are you? You declared that word. Have you forgotten? Was that a word from you? Was it not a word from you? 
you know, Joseph is here. That's when his training begins in earnest. So when you find yourself in that place, remember Joseph because maybe your training is beginning in earnest, okay? Be encouraged. Even Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. We see that in Luke 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Sometimes God declares a word over us, and the very next thing, we're in a wilderness. We're in a barren place. We're in a place where we don't see any life. We're in a place where we don't see any fruit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into that place. God can lead us into that place. It's part of his work. It's part of his testing. It's part of what he's doing in our lives. Joseph had to be thrown into a pit. He had to be sold to some traders who were going to Egypt because God needed him in Egypt. See, God knows what he needs to do to get us to be positioned in the place that we need to be positioned at at the right time. We've got to submit to his process. We can't kick and fight against God. You know, submit to his process. Lord, help me understand the times and seasons. Lord, help me understand what you're doing right now. Where am I right now, Lord God? How can I prepare myself and arise? He was taken as a slave, completely under the radar. Completely under the radar. I'm not sure if anyone could have guessed how God was going to move Joseph and his dealings with him. Maybe you feel like you're completely under the radar. God gave you this word and you're in a place of hiddenness. You're absolutely nowhere near where you know God wants to take you. That's okay. I actually like being under the radar. I actually like being hidden. You know, when I make mistakes in a place of hiddenness, no one's looking. <laughs> Much safer. Learn to make your mistakes in hiddenness. Learn to try out your weapons of war in hiddenness. I remember once, um, a few years ago, I was in my bedroom, and one of my kids came in, and they had this plastic sword. And they were like, look, mom, my sword of faith. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me right then, and he said, you see, this is the problem with the church. We're so busy showing off our weapons, we don't use them for what they were, there, for what they were given for, and we also don't know what our weapons are. You see, when we are placed of hiddenness, that's our place where God wants to teach us. He wants to give us weapons. He wants to give us tools. He wants to teach us how to use them so that we now in a place of manifestation of the promise of God, we can walk in victory. Amen. We know how to use them. Okay. Joseph received words from God, awesome words, great promises. He had a wonderful life. It was great. And in one day, in one moment, it was all taken away, or so it seemed. He was thrown into a pit and demoted to slave. Interesting process. Interesting process. I like this quote. You might have heard me share it before. Um, I don't know who wrote it. Um, it goes like this. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create some great and bolder man, that all the might, all the world might be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects who he royally elects. How he hammers and converts them and with mighty blows converts them into trial shapes of clay that only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with mighty acts induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Amen. God knows what he's doing. 
and my process will not look like your process. And my in-between time will not look like your in-between time. We've got to trust God that he knows what he's doing. We've got to rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to lead us and to guide us and give us wisdom. Amen. That poem or that piece is such an apt picture of the process of God. When God calls you, when God calls me, he's going to mold us whether we like it or not. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, it will be worth it, people. Amen. God is faithful. He always fulfills his word. I love that scripture in Isaiah that says that the word of God, when it goes forth, it always accomplishes that which it's sent for. Say that to me, always accomplishes. Always accomplishes that which it's sent for. So once in Egypt, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. Again, God is positioning Joseph. He's serving someone of high rank in Pharaoh's, amongst Pharaoh's leaders. He's serving someone and will learn many things that will prepare him. For when he too holds rank as one of Pharaoh's leaders. See, God is very wise in how he positions us. Sometimes we miss the wisdom of how God is moving and positioning us because our hearts are bitter. But Lord, you called me to be a leader. Now I'm a slave to a leader. Lord, you called me to be a leader. Now I'm serving as a slave in this man's household and, and he's not even integrous. Instead of having that attitude, that heart of bitterness, we say, Lord, I'm going to be faithful with that which is another man's. Lord, I know that I can learn from this person. I know that I need to learn from this person. So teach me and show me. So lead me, Lord. Help me to be an asset to this person. I think that was Joseph's heart. I think that was the heart that accelerated his time in his process. Because if I look at the total time that he was in preparation, it wasn't as long as other people's in the Bible. Okay? So God is positioning him. Do not despise serving another man's vision when it is similar to yours. You know, many people will come into a church arrogant. Well, God has called me. He's called me as an apostle. He's called me as a leader. Why should I serve you? Why do you want me to be an usher? Arrogant, proud. And just tell you something. I don't need to, we don't need to resist you. God resists the proud. Amen. God is going to resist you. Serve. Serve another man. God will give you your own. If you're working in another man's business, serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. You don't have a heart of like, well, God has already promised me I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to maximize. I'm going to take stationery. I'm going to use the phone. I'm going to, you know, use the phone to phone internationally. I'm going to score. I'm going to maximize. And no, be faithful. Be faithful. You'll reap what you sow. Amen. One day when you own your business, God will give you those like you. Amen. Do not despise serving another man's vision. God has positioned for you. There are tests that God has personally made and designed for you in that place. Will you be faithful with that, which is another man's? Will you be faithful with those tests? So if I read about Joseph in Genesis, it says the Lord, remember Joseph is a slave, hey, and this is what it says about him. The Lord was with Joseph. He's a slave. Many of us, if we're in that position, we're like, Lord, where are you? I'm a slave. You called me as a leader. I'm a slave. Where are you? You've abandoned me. No. It says the Lord was with Joseph, even as a slave. And then it says, and he was a successful man. The way we view success, people, and the ways God views success, I have to wonder if it's the same. 
How would you say you're successful if you're a slave? But it says here, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Can I ask you, was there anything that was in his hand that was his own? I doubt it. He was a slave. The Lord made everything to prosper that was in his hand. He was being faithful. The Lord was with him. He was successful. Success is about so much more than material wealth. I think a lot of it has to do with our heart, has to do with God in our lives, so that whatever I touch prospers, whether it's mine or whether it's another man's. Amen. So it says that Joseph found favor in the sight of his boss, of his owner. Okay? the Egyptian. And this Egyptian made him overseer of his house and all that he put under his authority. So Joseph, by being faithful with the little, God is adding. God is promoting him. See, when we're faithful with the little, God promotes us. Test your heart, test your heart, test your heart, test your heart, and each time he promotes us. The Bible says promotion comes from above. Amen. The Lord blessed him. And then it says that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The Lord can bless a nation for our sake. The Lord can bless a business for your sake. The Lord, you can be the reason for the blessing in a place if you keep your heart right. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate. He gave everything eventually to Joseph to oversee because he trusted Joseph. So interesting that Joseph was a slave, but we're informed that the Lord was with him. Remember, he's part of his process. Think on that. Our physical circumstances cannot affect God's presence with us unless we let them. You can have nothing. Joseph had nothing, but God was with him and prospered him. God was with him. It says that he was prosperous, but he owned nothing. Prosperity is an attitude of heart first before it materializes in the natural Potiphar saw that God prospered all that was in Joseph's hand, and this gave him favor. Interesting. He was a slave, but he carried prosperity. He had nothing, but he carried prosperity. When Joseph's brothers saw the favor on his life, they were envious. When Potiphar saw the favor on his life, he favored Joseph. Isn't that interesting? That is so interesting. I think a major difference between Potiphar and Joseph's brothers was that Potiphar wasn't competing with Joseph, but his brothers were. He was in a different matrix. You see, people will envy you if they view you as a threat or if they see you as competition. Maybe if they are insecure or do not have what you have but want it. See, if you're envious, it means you're insecure. Amen. Don't be envious of your brothers. Never look at another person in the church and want their calling or want their stuff or want their wife or want their kids or want their life. You don't know the price that they paid to get it. And you don't know what God has for you. He has something for everyone. Amen. And the thing that he has for you will fit you much better than that. Because when God calls us into a place, it fits right. It feels right. Okay? We're not squashed. It's not pressing. Okay? So Joseph was faithful this far. He probably passed a number of tests that we're not even told about in the Bible. He probably passed with flying colors because he seems to just be promoted and promoted and promoted. And so at this point of faithfulness, God is like, okay, Joe, you're ready for the next level of testing. 
It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass over these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And he says, Look, my master doesn't know what is with me in the house. He's committed everything of his into my hand. There's no one greater in this house than, he, than me, you know, in terms of underneath him. He hasn't kept back anything from me except you. Now, how am I going to sleep with you? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed to her, heed her or lie with her. So this test, I believe, was a test of the fear of God. And it was ongoing test. I don't know if you heard that day by day. It wasn't a once-off temptation which happened on Monday and then it went away. This was a day by day, Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday to Saturday. It continued a day by day temptation. Okay? I hope that all of you men, if you were in that situation, would have done the same as Joseph. Amen. This test was a test of the fear of God. Did Joseph fear God? That's a test that we often face in the in-between time. See, Joseph says, how can I do this great wickedness? He didn't say in sin against myself or sin against my boss. He says, or even, he didn't even say, and maybe be found out, which I think is some people's concern. That's their main concern. They don't want to be found out. They don't care about the rest. <laughs> But Joseph said, how can I do this and sin against God? The test of the fear of the Lord. Did Joseph fear God? He feared God above any other. Do you fear God? Do we recognize the tests when they come our way? If the test of the fear of God that was designed just for you, especially for you, maybe it wouldn't be in this area, would you recognize it as a test? I think a powerful prayer to praise the Lord. Would you show me when I'm being tested? You know, I don't know if that would be like God giving us a cheat code, you know, for an exam. Maybe he doesn't want us to know. <laughs> okay, I don't know. But anyway, when Potiphar's wife caught him to force him to lie with her, Joseph fled, leaving his coat in her hands. And it happened when he heard uh, that he cried out, basically, and he left his garment with her. And so, and, and basically, she, the wife, kept his garment until the master comes home. And then she said, to the master, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment with me and fled outside. False accusation. The Hebrew servant that you brought into this house tried to rape me. False accusation. How many of you have ever had to face that? False accusation. We've had to. From church people, from leaders in the church, falsely accused, blatant lies. Okay? Test from the Lord test from the Lord. This test had mutated and grown harder. It now it became, it grew from the test of the fear of God, the test of false accusation. Are you being falsely accused? How do you respond? We have to keep our hearts. Amen. Sometimes the best is not to defend yourself because it's a test. Make sure you pass your test. Make sure you keep your heart. Because of this false accusation, Potiphar grew angry with Joseph and threw him into prison. Joseph just found himself in another pit. So he went into one pit, then he was promoted, promoted, promoted. Then at a certain point, he faced a number of tests, which he passed with flying colors. And because he passed them with flying colors, he ended up in another pit. Sometimes we think we will never end up in a pit if we pass God's test with flying colors. No. 
When we pass them with flying colors, that just might be the thing that causes us to go into the next level of testing, which is a prison or a pit. Yeah. It seems to me that these tests were getting more intense and the situation was looking less like God was going to fulfill his word. Amen. But it was a setup. God was setting him up all the time. And he's like that in our lives. We get thrown into pits. We pass our tests. We get thrown into the next pit. God, and we get despondent. We get despondent. We're like, Pastor, pray for me. I'm so discouraged. Prophet, prophesy over me. Please, I need another word from God. No, you don't need another word. You need to stand on the one that he gave you in the first point and just carry on working through your tests. Amen. Okay. God knew why, how and why he was positioning Joseph, even though he was in the pit, another pit, in a prison, in a dark place. He was trapped and he couldn't get out. Some of you find yourself in a place you're trapped. You, see, you, you can't get out. You can't break out of this dark place you're in. God knows where you're at. He knows where you're at. You keep your heart right. You keep pursuing him. You don't give up on that thing he's placed on your heart. You keep waging warfare with the word that he gave you. You keep serving. You keep pursuing God and see what God will do. Amen. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. Where is Joseph? Sorry? He's in prison, right? It says, yeah, the Lord was with Joseph. What did it say when he was a slave? The Lord was with Joseph. You can be in a pit, a pit or a prison. The Lord can be with you. It says the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. You might say, but where's your mercy, Lord? He's in prison and he didn't deserve it. He was falsely accused and it was all lies. You know, he's been faithful and look where it's got him. Where is your mercy? No, it says to me, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Seems like there's a pattern here. Joseph keeps rising to leadership. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did was his doing. And the keeper of the prison didn't have to look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, God made it prosper. You see, when we carry the Lord, the Lord's presence, the promises of God, when we're walking right with the Lord, he will make us prosper wherever we find ourselves. And it's just a matter of time before that grows into everything that he's called us to. Amen. The Lord was with him in prison, and whatever he did in prison, the Lord made it prosper in prison. Did he have anything of his own? No. Did God make him prosper? Yes. Prosperity is about so much more than what we have. Okay, and that is important. The Lord gave him favor. How many of you would believe that the Lord was with you and had given you favor if you found yourself in Joseph's situation? Falsely accused, in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord caused him to prosper. He rose to position of leader even in prison. I believe that he must have kept his heart. Okay, so Joseph at this point is facing another prison or another hiddenness test. God loves these tests, prison test, hiddenness test. Your attitude counts in hiddenness. Who you are when no one is looking. Who you are when you're trapped and you can't get out. What you do in a place of hiddenness. The Bible says in Matthew 6 that God is in the secret place. When I'm in a secret place, a place of hiddenness, no one knows where I'm at. God is there. 
Our attitude counts in hiddenness. Maybe you're trapped in circumstances, unable to break free or break out. Maybe you're stuck in a place of hiddenness, stuck in a place of misunderstanding. God can still be with you and cause you to prosper if your attitude and your character remains true. Amen. Keep your heart even in the middle of these tests and this in-between time. So Joseph is in prison. He's been in prison for I don't know how long. Pharaoh becomes angry with his chief butler, his baker, and they get thrown in the prison where Joseph is. This is totally a setup from God, okay? Totally a setup. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. And Joseph served them, and they were in custody for a while. The servant test. The servant test. It says the captain of the guard charged Joseph with him. Look after these, Joe. And it says, Joseph served them, and they were in custody for a while. Servant test. God loves to put us in a place where we have to be like servants, where we serve others, where we serve others possibly lower than us, when we serve others who maybe haven't got a great, great, a great call, as great a calling in our eyes as us. You know, I love what John the Baptist said. He said, one who is greater than I. He basically washed the feet of one who was greater than him whose sandals I, I'm basically not, not, I shouldn't, you know, untie. And he's the one who baptized him in, in, the, in, in the river, in water. You know, we have to be willing to serve, whether it's someone we think who's greater than us or someone we think is not even, doesn't even come near to us. Servant test. What is your heart like when God wants you to serve others whether you think they're worthy or not. Maybe it's the people in Tembisa that maybe you don't like them. Maybe, maybe they, you know, who, what are you like to this guy outside on the street at the robots? What is your attitude like? What if God said to you, serve him, give him a haircut? What would your heart be like? Servant test. Are you willing to serve the people that God wants you to serve? And I'm not meaning serve everybody. I'm saying serve the people that God puts in your charge. Amen. Servant test. It says, then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream. I wonder who gave them the dream. Each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came to them in the morning and looked at them and he saw they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look sad today? And you see his heart was in his service. His heart wasn't, he wasn't just serving as, well, I have to just obey. I have to just do what I'm told to do. I shouldn't be here, but I'm going to do it. You know, I didn't deserve to be here, but I'm going to do it. That wasn't his attitude. It says that he saw that they were sad. He wasn't offended. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't consumed by his own bad luck. He wasn't consumed by fulfilling his own destiny and building his own kingdom. He's not worried about the apparent lack of faithfulness of God. He's about serving and concerned for the people God has given him to lead, albeit in prison and albeit in hiddenness. Can you see the transparency of his heart in hiddenness, in prison? He still cares even though no one will know. Amen. Okay, so these guys, amen. Okay, they tell Joseph they've had a dream, they don't understand them, and he basically says interpretations of dreams belong to God. Please will they tell him their dreams, and they do so. And Joseph correctly interprets their dreams, and the butler was restored to service in three days, and the baker was beheaded in three days, like Joseph prophesied according to the interpretation of the dreams. It was as Joseph said. That's just, this is a setup, right? Set up from God. 
He also asked, he said, listen to the butler, he said, listen, remember me when you are restored to Pharaoh. Please remember me. I'm not so comfortable here in this prison that I want to stay. I still want to get out. He hadn't given up. He said, please remember me. Okay, he wanted out, but he hadn't let that affect his heart. In Genesis 40 verse 23, it says, the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is another test, the forgotten test. How many of you feel ever, have ever felt forgotten? It's like, I put my name forward. They said yes, and, they, and then nothing. Lord, you spoke to me about this two years ago, and then nothing. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten, Lord? The forgotten taste. Two years passed. But God had not forgotten Joseph. I love the scripture in Isaiah 49. It says, it says, but Zion said, the Lord has forgotten me. My Lord has, for, um, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. The Lord says, I will not forget you. See, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God never forgets us, even if we feel forgotten. Amen. Okay. So at this point... Somehow Joseph has passed some test, he's reached some point where God decides, okay, you know what, Joe, it's time to manifest what I prophesied way back many years ago. This is a great time in our lives, amen. God is saying it's time for my purposes to be fulfilled. When it's time, according to God, and when you've done your time and you've passed your tests, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether you're in obscurity, whether you're in a prison. It doesn't matter if you're misunderstood, if you're falsely accused, if you've fallen out of favor with leaders, if you've fallen out of favor with your brothers. It doesn't matter if you have lots. It doesn't matter if you have nothing. It doesn't matter because if God is in it, he will do it. Amen. It does not matter. God will do it. If God is in it, he will use the very things that have come against you as stepping stones to the fulfillment of his word. But only when you've been proven and you've been tested and you've walked that in-between time faithfully. Amen. We have to walk that time. At this point, God gives Pharaoh's two dreams. Uh, God gives Pharaoh two dreams. So it's two years later maybe more than when Joseph said to the butler, hey, please remember me. So two years longer in prison. And God gives Pharaoh two dreams, okay? And I think it's because he decided, okay, Joseph, it's your time. Let me give Pharaoh dreams. Complete setup for Joseph's success. And of course, the magicians and wise men, surprise, surprise, couldn't interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And the butler remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh about him. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Genesis 41 verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothing, came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. I love what Joseph says. He says, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Maybe if this had happened when he was 17 years old, he would have said, yeah, I can understand dreams. I can interpret them. I know God. I can do it for you, Pharaoh. But his answer was humble. There's a humility. Amen. He said, it is not in me. He's learned to give glory to God. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So that's a test of glory. 
little test of glory thrown in there. They're still testing even as we're coming into our place of fulfillment. Who do we give glory to? Okay? Joseph passes with flying colors. Who do you give glory to for what comes naturally to you? Yeah, that's just me. I'm naturally like that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, God gave me beautiful eyes. Yeah, God gave me that ability. God has given me an incredible ability to create wealth. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm quite wealthy and prosperous. God has been faithful. That's not proud. That's giving glory to God. God has made me a fast runner. God is the one who did it. God is, who gets the glory? You know, Joseph gave God the glory. Joseph interpreted both dreams correctly. And then God gave him wisdom to know what to do with the dreams i.e. how to apply wisdom in the situation or the application of the interpretation of the dreams. And I want to mention this here because I think it's so important. With every prophetic word that God gives us, with a dream, with a vision, with anything, there's always the revelation, which is the dream or the vision or the word that you got. Then there's the interpretation of that. And then there's the application of that. Okay? And it's very easy to get a dream. It's very easy to get a vision. It's very easy to get a word from God. And often where we make the mistakes is in the interpretation and in the application. Amen. And this is such a brilliant example of this because the revelation, Pharaoh's dreams, seven fat cows come out of a river, seven skinny cows come after them and eat them up. Then he has another dream, seven heads of grain on a stalk come up and, and, and then seven withered, thin and blighted heads come and eat the fat ones, the healthy ones. And it's interesting because the Bible says in Deuteronomy, by mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So God gave Pharaoh both dreams confirming the same thing because the matter was established. And that is the revelation. And then Joseph comes along and he says, well, Pharaoh, these dreams, that revelation, the interpretation is this. It's going to be seven good years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And, the, and you go, had two dreams because the matter is established. It's definitely going to happen. And then he goes on and he gives Pharaoh the application of the interpretation. And he says, now, Pharaoh, you need to select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to collect produce in the seven plentiful years so that basically in the seven years of famine, there'll be enough to carry the people through. And boom, that was Joseph's 24-hour miracle. That was Joseph's suddenly. How many of you like suddenly? Suddenly God fulfills his word to you. Was it a suddenly? No, it wasn't a suddenly. It took like years and years and years. So suddenlies are never really suddenlies. They're always things that have taken long and God has decided, okay, boom, now's your time. This is your hour. You're ready for the fulfillment of my word. So it says the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a man as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Isn't that interesting? Remember he passed the test and he said, it's not me who interprets your dreams, Pharaoh, but it's God. It's interesting how Pharaoh notice, uh, observes him. He says, can we find one such as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God was the reason for the favor and the distinguishing factor. So we always got to remember God in it because he will be the reason for our favor and our promotion and, and will be our distinguishing factor. Amen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, you will be over my house. You will rule basically in Egypt. And the only one who will be greater than you will be me. And then Pharaoh takes off his signet ring and gives it to Joseph's. And he set Joseph and sets him over the land of Egypt. Now, 
That's a major promotion for Joseph from the prison, from the pit, to ruling over Egypt. And some of us at that point will be like, thank you, Lord, you fulfilled the word to me. Hallelujah. I am leader. No, it wasn't the end. Okay. Because what was his word? That his brothers and his father will come and bow down to him. Amen. So God wasn't done with him. And it says that Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So I want to ask you, how long was Joseph's process? How long was Joseph's in-between time? 13 years. 13 years. But remember, God wasn't done yet because his brothers still hadn't come and bowed down. He was 17 when God gave him those dreams. He was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh and was made to IC of Egypt. I think that's very quick. To be honest, in biblical times, I think we can accelerate the process of God by our hearts. The Israelites delayed the process of God because their hearts weren't right. Guard your hearts in the in-between time. The seven years of plenty came and went. The seven years of famine came. So remember now, 13 years, he stood before Pharaoh and now was made 2IC. Seven years, so it's 20 years. And his brother and his, his father still haven't come and bowed down to him. The word hasn't been fulfilled 20 years later, hey? Okay. Now we get into the seven years of famine. I don't know how many years of famine it took um, for his, brother, his brothers to come and his father to say to the brothers, we're starving, we better go to Egypt and buy some bread. But it says in Genesis 42, Joseph was governor over the land and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Finally, the fulfillment of the word that he was given at the start. Over 20 years later, and you complain because it's been one year? And you complain because you've waited six months? People, we need to look at the Bible. God's process sometimes takes time, and if our hearts aren't in the right time, it can take 40 years. You hear what I'm saying? But it's interesting because I think if he had done it, if God had done it when Joseph was 17, maybe Joseph in his immaturity would have said, ah, these guys have bowed down to me. I'm great. You know, God did it for me, you know, because I, so I can be influential. Aren't I something, you know? But at this point, when, is, when, when God does it, what does he say to the brothers? After all of that testing, he's changed. He's changed. And that was the purpose of the testing because he says, he basically, he encourages his brothers, and he says, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. And so now it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Isn't that amazing? His heart. He's encouraging his brothers who wanted to kill him. I don't think there's bitterness there. He's encouraging his brothers, and he can see the situation from God's perspective. He says, hey, guys, don't worry. This position that I'm holding here in leadership, it's actually not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's actually about you, and because God loves you, and because he wanted to save your lives, and that's why I had to go through everything that I went through, and that's why he's given me this position so that I can save your lives. And you see, that is the distinguishing mark, I think, of a godly leader. It's not about them. It's not about them. God's calling on our lives. God's calling to you for businesses, for making money, for politics, whatever it is. It's not about you. This right here is not about me. I'm quite happy to get revelation sitting on my bed in my room and munch it and enjoy it. 
This is not about me. It's about you. Your calling is never about you. It's never about your great name. It's never about building a great name on TV for you. No. It's about God's people. It's about God's purpose. And when we really come to understand that in our hearts, I think that's when we're at a place where God can say, okay, now I can trust you with what I've called you to. Now you can get your promotion out of your in-between time. Before I close, I want to look at a few other examples very, very briefly in the Bible of people who were used by God who went through this in-between time. Can I do that? Very quickly. I want to look at Moses. It says, now when Moses was 40 years old, he, it came to his heart to visit his brethren. So Moses was in Pharaoh's, was one of, treated like one of Pharaoh's sons. And it says he's 40 years old, but he knows where he came from. He knows that he was a Hebrew. He knows he's not an Egyptian. He said, I'm going to go and look and check out my brothers. And that's when he sees, you know, that they're being oppressed and he kills that Egyptian. And that's when he flees into the wilderness. And then it says in Acts 7 verse 23, it tells us, When 40 years had passed from when Moses went into the wilderness, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush and sent him to be a deliverer for God's people. Can I ask you a question? When Moses, when he was 40 years old, saw that one of his brethren was being abused, do you not think that the seed of God's calling was in his heart if he killed that Egyptian who was oppressing his brother? Of course it was. He wanted to be a deliverer. And he was going to do it his way. And he killed the Egyptian. And God said, okay, Moses. Okay, Mo. I can see that you want to be a deliverer. And I've called you to be a deliverer. But that is not how I'm going to deliver my people. So let me just take you into the wilderness. See, God leads people into the wilderness. Let me just take you into a really barren land for 40 years. And when you're ready, I'll send an angel. And he'll speak to you from a burning bush. And I'll send you to my people. And the man who God spoke to at the burning bush was not the same man as who killed the Egyptian. The man God spoke to at the burning bush was saying, Lord, I can't speak. Lord, I have a stutter. Lord, not me. You know, it was a different man. God changes us in the in-between time. The exodus of the Israelites. Remember I mentioned the Israelites, Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 to 5. It says, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness your in-between time, to humble you and test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. So it was 40 years before they entered the promised land because God was testing their hearts. And they could have gone in earlier if they had hearts of belief. Remember Kadesh Barnea? They could have gone in much earlier. Okay? 40 years before God permitted them to fight for the land. Not even to have the land, to fight for it. Abraham. I love the example of Abraham. Genesis 12 one to three, Abraham is 75. God gives him a promise and says, get out from your country and your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. Abraham has no children and his wife is barren. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you and your family will be blessed. So Abraham is 75. He turns 80, 85, 90. 
95. God has promised that he'll make him a great nation. Still no son. Okay? 99. Abraham's probably like, Lord, I don't think this is ever going to happen. Okay? 99. And God reaffirms the promise. He's not a worry, Abraham. I've promised you I'm going to make you a, a great nation. Finally, when Abraham is 100 years old, God fulfilled the promise and gives him Isaac. He waited 25 years. How long did he wait? How long are you willing to wait? David, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. When David was a teenager, he was anointed the next king of Israel. When he was a teenager. Then he faced Goliath, was banished by Saul, hid in the desert, lived on the run, was forced out of the nation and fought many battles. And it was 15 years between the time he was anointed king and when he actually became king. He was tested, just like Joseph, so that God could convert him from a shepherd into a king. See, when God is testing us in the in-between time, he's converting us. He's converting us from an old man into the new man that he wants to stand in the place that he's called us to. Amen. Now, in this process, in this in-between time, there's always a price that we have to pray, there's play, uh, pay. There's always some sacrifice. There's always something that God is going to ask of us. And what God asks of me might not be what he asks of you. But we have to be willing to pay the price for what God has called us to. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's something that he wants you to walk away from. But there are things that we need to ask God to give us wisdom on. Maybe it's someone you need to love that you don't want to love. There's a price. There's always a price, okay? Amy Carmichael, who went to a, on a ministry trip in the late 1800s as a missionary, was called from England. She went to minister in India and China, and she said, Never, I think, not even in heaven, shall I forget that parting when she left England. It was such a rending that I never wanted to repeat, and even now my heart winces at the thought of it. The night I set sail for China on March the 3rd, 1893, my life on the human side was broken, and it never mended again, but God has been enough. Sometimes there's a limp that comes from walking with God and walking in His purposes. Sometimes there's a pain that comes, but He will be enough. Amen. And walking in the destiny and the calling that he has for us is always so much more fulfilling and rewarding than living without the pain, without the sacrifice in our own space of our own calling. Amen. So in God's process, there are many different types of tests individualized by God for each one of us. The test that you face, let me just tell you, they'll be specifically designed for you. <laughs> specifically designed for me because maybe my test wouldn't be a test for you. And maybe your test wouldn't be a test for me. Amen. Okay, so some other examples. Because I gave you some in the life of Joseph. So just a few other examples that you can think about. Test of obscurity. Test of lack of recognition. Test of fear of man. Test of misunderstanding. Test of rejection. Test of faith. Test of power. Test of integrity of faithfulness, test of submission. You know submission is only tested in disagreement. Test of lordship, who is your God. Amen. 
Okay, so in conclusion, there is always an in-between time. When God declares a word over us, there will always be a time from the time when he declared it to the time when he fulfills it. And in that in-between time, we need to be aware that God is in his process. We're going to be in a process. We can expedite that time if we keep our hearts right, okay? God is working on us. God is preparing us. God is molding us, and he's positioning us. God is preparing the circumstances to be at the right stage for the revealing and the fulfillment of the word that he spoke to us. In the in-between time, there will be many tests for you. We see this very clearly in many of the lives that I mentioned, and especially Joseph. How we respond is critical. Be careful how you respond in the in-between time, because God is watching. Amen. But we can be encouraged that God is patient and that God never gives up on us, that he has not forgotten where we're at, that he knows where we're at, and he's working in our situations. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, so I'd like you all to stand um, this morning, and just if you feel, if you believe that you are in this space, this in-between time, you could identify with a number of things I mentioned. Could you just... With every eye closed and head bowed, could you just slip up your hand? I can see who I'm going to be praying for this morning. You're in an in-between time. You're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, and you can pray along. You can agree with me or you can pray in your own words. Father, you know where each and every person is this morning who's slipped up their hands. Every person who's here this morning. Lord, you see where we're at, and I pray right now for an encouragement of your people wherever they find themselves. I pray for a strengthening in their inner man with your Holy Spirit. I pray for a revival and a restoration of faith to burn in hearts this morning. I pray, Lord God, for a reignition of that word and the strength and the power of that word, that promise that you gave them at the start, Lord God. I pray for a stirring up of that word of God in their hearts, a stirring up, a stirring up, and a stirring up of faith. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray protection over each of these men and women of God. Lord, we commit their destiny and their purposes into your hands. And we thank you that you know exactly where they're at. You know where they are. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give them wisdom, that they would understand the times and the seasons of God, that they would understand and see and notice tests when they come their way. Lord, I pray for a grace to to humble themselves and to walk, Lord God, and whatever you've called them to walk through at this time. Thank you, Lord, for a strength and a grace in this in-between time. Restore hope, Lord, to hearts this morning. Restore joy to hearts this morning, I pray, my Lord. Thank you for the greatness of the call on many men and women in this place. Lord, we look to you this morning and we know that you are our faithful God. That your word that goes forth, it always accomplishes that which you send it for. And we choose to stand and look to you. We say we trust you, Lord, to fulfill the things that you've spoken.
Father, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us, Lord, where we've allowed our hearts to grow weary and tired, where we've allowed our hearts to grow cold, Lord, where we haven't watched over our hearts. Maybe, Lord, where we might have failed some of these tests, we ask that you help us to take them again and pass them with flying colors. Thank you, Lord, that we never get to fail a test with you. We just get to retake it. Bless your people this morning and strengthen hearts, Lord God. Let faith arise in Jesus' name. Before you open your eyes, I just want to ask, is there anyone here you do not know the Lord Jesus? You do not have that uh, destiny in your uh, sense in your heart, a sense of purpose in your heart. You don't know Jesus, who's the one who gives it to us. Could you just slip up your hands? I want to pray with you. Is there anyone who does not know the Lord Jesus as, as their Lord and Savior? So, Father, let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that even this word will accomplish that which it's meant to accomplish. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Pray that as we go, you would protect us and keep us and continue to speak to our hearts concerning your plans and understanding uh, and understanding your purpose. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us a spirit of revelation and understanding in your times and seasons. All of us, Lord, wisdom and understanding, a spirit of revelation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.